If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 20. Um, Over this series that we've been in, in the book of Galatians, Paul has really been drawing a contrast. And we've seen this throughout the entire series, our, our 11 weeks now, that there's really a contrast between the Christian that is walking in freedom walking in Christ, and the Christian that is really stuck in bondage. It is really in chains. And so this is an important contrast that he's going to make. And I want to give you some uh, introduction as we get to the text, because for some of you, you're just joining us today. And for some of you, you may have missed some weeks or even uh, there's good reminder for us to go back to and remember what has Paul been leading up to and what is Paul continuing to hammer home? I've shared with you before that Paul is just continually sharing the same subject. He's using different contrasts and different analogies to really say, listen, it's your freedom in Christ that matters so much. And so in this text last week, we saw how Paul gave an example with a contrast between sons and slaves. And Paul's aim in this was really to help these believers understand that reliance on the law is not a sign of maturity, but of immaturity. That only faith in Christ produces children who become heirs of God's promise. And so last week, we talked about how God had made us his children by means of adoption. That God took us from slaves to sons. And so Paul has been very firm and very pointed in his writing because he's deeply concerned that the Galatians were returning to their old way of life, to their bondage that they were once in. And so in his concern, Paul is really addressing the issue of these believers being influenced by the legalists. Now, these legalists, these false teachers were known as Judaizers. And these individuals taught that Gentile Christians needed to be circumcised and also keep the Mosaic law. And so we call these other teachers Judaizers because they insisted that Gentiles be circumcised and keep the Jewish feasts. And if they wanted to be justified and reach completion as a Christian, they had to follow through in this. And so ultimately, they were trying to make Jews out of non-Jews, saying, listen, you first have to become like a Jew to then become a Christian. And so the Judaizers thought Paul's gospel of justification by grace alone through faith alone was inadequate. This was their thought. And so they really added their own requirements. And so there's a conflict going on here between Paul and the Judaizers. And so as Paul is addressing these churches in Galatia, he's longing to help them not only understand the gospel, but to also live the gospel. And as he gets into this section that we're going to see, he's changing the way he is speaking to the churches. But Paul doesn't do this because he's contradicting himself. He doesn't do this because he's going back on his words, but because he is looking to address his concern more deeply. He wants to get after the issue with them. And so Paul has been writing to the Galatian churches as an apostle called by God. In fact, we saw in the very first chapter how Paul was defending his apostleship, that he was a messenger of Christ, not his apostleship, not his being a messenger given by man, but by God. And so he's coming to them as an apostle called by God 
and as a theologian. But now we see a, a little bit of a shift where he is coming to them as pastor and shepherd and father in the faith. And so he's changing his tone that we will see so that he can share with them deeply and truly the concerning issue that's before them. And here's what I'll tell you as I've studied this passage this week, as your pastor, as for me, who only has this position in in part, I know that with my limitations of time, I, I wish sometimes that I could get with you more, be here more, and also help you see the heart of the gospel more. And so this is much like Paul's heart in this context, because for Paul, he shared with the Galatian churches the gospel. And then after establishing these churches in their, still in their youth, he left to continue his missionary work of spreading the gospel. And so as new believers, these Galatian churches had allowed these Judaizers in, believing that they were in support of their faith. But now they've become confused and burdened because of these Judaizers who have come in and preached that the gospel is Jesus plus the law, that the gospel is Jesus plus the law and even plus circumcision. And that's their argument saying, yes, Jesus. And so as they've come in, there's this understanding of, well, they appear to have the message of Paul, but what they still miss and and are confused by is when the Judaizers come in and say, yes, we agree at this part with Paul, but most likely he left an important piece out. So you should still do the law. You should still be circumcised. You should still have these things to have salvation. But as we already learned earlier in the text, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So the gospel is Jesus plus nothing else equals salvation. And so as Paul shares his concern, he's doing so in hopes that these believers will make a choice, that they'll make a choice and return in faith to their freedom in Christ, no longer being under bondage, but that they'll walk in gospel freedom. And so what we're going to see and unpack from our text this morning is that in our former life, we were enslaved to the world. But since we have now received gospel freedom, then we must also discern freedom from bondage. If you're taking notes, those are your fill in the blanks this morning, that in our former life, we were enslaved to the world. But since we have now received gospel freedom, then we must also discern freedom from bondage. And so we're going to read Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 8, and it'll be on the screen behind me this morning as well. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years, and I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. 
What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. And it is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Let's pray. Father God, we, uh, we come before you this morning. We do lift up the request of, of friends and, and the needs in the body. And Father, I pray this morning as we, as we look to your word, Father, I pray that we would not only read it and hear it and soak it in, but Father, that we would respond to it. That Father, as we leave here this morning, we would continue to or, or, or return to walking in gospel freedom. So Father, I thank you for the perfect work of Jesus. So God, this morning we look to you and I pray that as we unpack this text, you would begin to reveal to us what it means to walk in gospel freedom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. So Paul begins in this section by referencing back to the Gentiles their life before Christ. That before we were in Christ, we were basically open and vulnerable and really exposed to anything and everything. And remember, too, that Paul told them that just one verse earlier in verse 7, what this means, that they are no longer enslaved to the world. He draws on a contrast that we saw last week where he says, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And so Paul is reminding them and trying to really urge them why they should not turn back to these things. And like the Galatians, you and I have come to know God the Father and we are known by him. And so this means that where we were once separated and segregated from the Father, we now have a close relationship with him. So to return to this place of bondage would really make us, again, a slave, and we would be throwing away our sonship. And so in verse 9, Paul asks the Galatians why they would even consider this. He asks them, how can you turn back, again, to the weak and the worthless elementary principles of the world? Now, for Paul, he knows that compared to what these believers are being enslaved to, the power of the gospel produces freedom. And here we see the major concern for him, the major issue, because you cannot walk in gospel freedom in Christ and walk in bondage. You cannot have both. And so in turning to legalism, the Galatians were not turning to a new error, This was not a new teaching, but coming back to an old one, the idea of a works-based relationship with God. And so Paul even explains the issue in this and really one of the points of, of the contrast in this text. 
And so verse 10 is actually really important for us to understand this issue. Verse 10, Paul says, you observe days and months and seasons and years. Now for us today in our Western culture, it's really easy for us to skim over this because we have clocks and we have uh, calendars and we have schedules and some of us are more OCD about those things than others and some we pray will one day find out what those are for. And so we don't really understand the context of what Paul is saying because we think well, we observe days. We're here on a Sunday morning. We observe months. We, we know when it's summer and, and fall and winter, but this verse is not referencing that the way we see it. It's referring that they were still participating in the laws and the customs while trying to live in gospel freedom because the law commanded special observances at various times. And so we, we see this, if we were to go back to Leviticus in chapter 23 and, 20, and 16 and 28, but really the issue here is that the Judaizers had really convinced the Galatian believers that keeping the law was actually compatible and critical to receiving and living in the gospel. But the problem with this is that it is a works-based belief. And this is something Paul completely preached against. And so for Paul in verse 11, he even says that he feared that he had even maybe labored over them in vain. And so here Paul seems amazed. I don't even know if amazed is the right word. He's almost uh, speechless, dumbfounded that someone would turn from freedom in Christ to this kind of bondage. But here's the thing that I think is important for us to understand about legalism is that legalism caters to and fulfills a desire of our flesh. It fulfills a desire of your flesh. And and here's how it does it. By putting the focus on what we achieve for God rather than on what Jesus did for us. So there's a really important distinction there and why then the legalists, the Judaizers, were very appealing to the Galatians. And so even at the end of this section in verse 11, Paul puts a choice before the Galatians and before us that we can have a living and free relationship with God as our loving father based on what Jesus did for us and who we are in him. Or we can try to please God by our best efforts of keeping the rules, living in bondage and slaves and not as sons. And so either you live under bondage of earning or you live in freedom by grace through faith. Because remember, Paul's made a very clear distinction. We cannot be both sons and slaves. I think a great example of this when we're walking in legalism, because even there are times where we can unintentionally do this. By rather than being in a relationship with Jesus, we walk in our own false religion where we think, man, I have all of the right answers. I didn't miss one Sunday. I serve on 82 serving teams. I'm all over the place. I was here yesterday at the work party. God must be pleased in me. And so we get into this kind of thinking. And the problem with this is it's your works-based relationship that's really just a false religion that doesn't earn you a right standing before God. And there are many that still do this. I think a good example of this is the the story of John Wesley. 
And although I, I disagree with him theologically, I believe that his life is a true example of someone who walked through what we're talking about. Because before his conversion, he was the son of a clergyman. And that means pastor. And then he became a pastor himself. He was orthodox in belief. He was faithful in morality and full of good works. He did ministry in in prisons and sweatshops and slums. He gave food and clothing and education to children. He observed both Saturday and Sunday as the Sabbath. I mean, that's a super Christian right there. Both days. And he sailed from England to the American colonies as a missionary. So here's someone who's doing good works. He has the outward appearance of works, and he even studied his Bible. He prayed, and he fasted, and gave regularly. Here's all the things he was doing. Yet all of the time, he was bound in the chains of his own religious efforts because he trusted in what he could do to make himself right before God instead of trusting in what Jesus has done. I think for us, it's incredibly easy to get into this because trusting is not something where all of a sudden, okay, I need to do all of these tasks. And sometimes for us doers, that's a little bit easier. And so even later, Wesley stated that he said that he came to trust in Christ, in Christ only for salvation that he came to an inner assurance that he was now forgiven and saved and a son of God. And so even when he wrote about his conversion, looking back on all of his religious activity before he was truly saved, he said, I had even then the faith of a servant, though not that of a son. I had the faith of a servant, but not that of a son. And so really, this is the type of religious works Paul is wanting to see the Galatians free from. Because under these legalists, there is only bondage. There is not gospel freedom. Under this type of works, there is no kind of gospel freedom. It is only bondage. And as the legalists came in, they were were teaching another way completely and modeling a type of weighty religion that is counter to a relationship with Jesus. And so what Paul does to get in front of this is tell them, listen, follow my example. Follow my example. And in verse 12, he says, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am. And so here's what Paul knows when he says this, that he was not sinless or perfect. He wasn't standing before the Galatian churches saying, listen, look at how perfect I am. Don't worry about following Jesus. Just follow me. This is not what Paul is saying. So we need to really understand the context. What Paul's wanting is to simply have them look at his life as an example as he follows Jesus. So saying for for Paul, listen, if you follow the legalists, It's going to be counter to a life in Christ, but follow me because what I would have you go after is life in Christ. And so what Paul wanted the Galatian Christians to imitate was his consistency in his relationship with Jesus. That the Galatians started out with the right understanding of the gospel because Paul led them into the right understanding. But some of them didn't stay there like Paul did. 
And in that way, they should become like Paul. And so Paul also reminds them in verses 13 through 15 how they once responded and interacted with him before the issue. Now, what I will say is that um, many like to detail out and really try to discern what Paul's bodily ailment is that he mentions in verse 13. And, and we could do the, the work of a theologian this morning or the work of a, of a good commentator of Scripture, but here's what I will tell you is of utmost importance in this text of what Paul is saying. What is most important is not what is going on with Paul, but what God had done and how the gospel had transformed. And so the real point here is that despite whatever Paul's bodily ailment was, the Galatians did not despise or reject him. And so this is because the gospel reconciles and transforms all people. In fact, the gospel transcends all cultures. That even though Paul seemed weak and afflicted, they embraced him and responded to his message of grace and God's love. And so he reminds them not only of their acceptance of him, but also what gospel freedom meant to them. Because where they were once lost and without hope, through faith in Christ, before the legalists came in, They were free and walking in the blessings of Christ. And so in verse 15, Paul asks, what then has become of your blessedness? What has become of how you once were? He says, for I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. So Paul is drawing on the context of, look at how close we were in relationship and how now these legalists, these Judaizers, have driven a wedge between our gospel unity. And so through the negative influence of the legalists, the Galatians were no longer receiving Paul, but rather they were rejecting him. So here they, they traded their gospel relationships for religion. And Paul draws on this issue by reminding them how they accepted him before. But it wasn't just because of his physical condition. It wasn't because he was weak that they welcomed him in, but because of their blessedness that they received him. And so Paul is concerned here because they are no longer walking in gospel unity together. In fact, the gospel freedom the Galatian churches had received, they no longer had. They were under bondage. So in verse 16, Paul asks an important question again because of their relational divide. Paul continues to press in with these questions to have them consider where they are at. And he asks, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? So Paul has not become an adversary as he is confronting the Galatians with the truth. They needed the truth more than they needed to feel good about where they were at. They needed to have the truth spoken to them and from their pastor. And so here again, Paul risks public opinion for the sake of gospel unity. We've seen time and time again throughout this letter how Paul has risked public opinion for the sake of gospel unity. And so there is an important and difficult role as a pastor that I want you to understand that I take seriously. It's to teach you sound doctrine, to teach you the truth. 
and to call you to and encourage you to live out sound doctrine. This, I believe, is critical because there is... There are damaging and damning things in this world that are not presenting themselves to you as harmful, but as helpful. Do you understand that? There are things in this world of what would be claimed as doctrine, being claimed of Christ, that are, that are not presenting themselves as harmful, but as helpful. But if we dig in deeper, if we press in to what sound doctrine truly is, those things are not helpful, but they are harmful. And so as we consider those things, I take seriously the role and the opportunity I have with you to help you reason and discern the difference between false doctrine and sound doctrine. And also I believe that part of a pastor's role is to defend sound doctrine. And here's what I know to be true by doing this. Doctrine divides. We know this. Doctrine divides. In the, in the very beginning of the world, God creates the world in Genesis 1 and just two chapters over in Genesis 3, we see the first divide of, in doctrine. Because for us often, because of the postmodern world that we live in, we think that truth is subjective. What you believe is good for you and what I believe is good for me, but that is not truth. Scripture is clear what the truth is. And so we know that doctrine divides. We see this in Genesis 3. The very first time doctrine was dividing was when the serpent came in. And God made clear, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. God says clearly, here's the truth of what I would have for you in our relationship. And then the enemy says to Eve, you won't surely die. Let's consider this for a moment. Is that really truth? Is that really what's laid before you? And let me tell you that this is what is before you and I today. That there are many confused Christians, children of God, and there are false teachers and legalists that are coming in with a message that seeks to satisfy your flesh. Not turn you to a satisfaction in your Savior but seeks to really help you satisfy your flesh. So let me tell you what, I, what I've said before is that my greatest fear as a pastor is when the church, the, the people of God, I'm not saying the buildings, but the people of God choose to defend doctrine based on how they feel rather than on what they know. Let me tell you with all honesty and love for you, I don't care how you feel. I care about your soul. I love you deeply. I pray for you often, and I want to look out for you. There is a difference between caring for sheep and dealing with wolves. So I come at you with a different tone. But anyone who would harm you with false doctrine, I will not come out with that tone. And so I want you to understand the importance of what Paul is getting after because there are doctrinal issues, there are theological issues that he is getting after. He even says this to his young pastoral apprentice, Timothy. In 2 Timothy 4.3, he says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. 
So we need to discern freedom from bondage because what the legalists are actually seeking after is to really bound you. They're not trying to help you seek your savior. They're wanting you to make much of them. And so they, they seek ways. And even today, I think much of what we see in false doctrine is that we see pastors and preachers and speakers and all of these categories of who talks about the word. All of these men and women speak with the hopes of making you feel good, not help you discern what you know. This is why I often love the reading Charles Spurgeon because one of the things he said is there's a time coming where it won't, be, uh, it won't be shepherds tending to goats, but clowns speaking to goats, clowns preaching to goats. A very offensive term in, in itself, but I believe we are in that era where it's no longer shepherds who understand their role to defend, to care for, but it's clowns. It's, it's this attempt of here, let me make you feel good. Let me shape something up that fits to your ideology. But I believe what Paul is getting after is let me get to you in love. Let me pop that balloon for a second and share with you sound doctrine because you need to discern freedom from bondage. You need to get after what the truth is. And so in verse 17 and 18, Paul tells the church how they need to be careful and discern the way the legalists appeal to them. Now, this is important. And so in these verses 17 and 18, I want to read this to you again. Paul says, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you. And so here in Paul's view, the Judaizers were motivated by self-centered divisiveness. That they were not truly interested in the well-being of the Galatian churches, of these believers. But for Paul, he was seeking their well-being. He was seeking out their souls, that they are children of the Lord. And this is something that we see both in the Judaizers and other false teachers and religions today. This is why in verse 17, Paul says, they want to shut you out that you may make much of them. Let me tell you that many cults use a technique informally known as love bombing. Maybe you've heard this term before. It's where they overwhelm you with a perspective of attention and support and affection because they're drawing you in based on how you feel. And if they draw you in based on how you feel, then it's easy to distort what you know. And so this is the type of thing that is happening with the Judaizers, with these legalists, these opponents who wanted to draw out the Galatian Christians away into their own divisive group. And so they actually wanted to exclude the Galatians from other Christians. They didn't want them interacting with the church as a whole, but they wanted to bring them into a super spiritual group of the legalists. And so really, Paul is identifying this is a gospel issue. 
Because earlier in chapter 3 that we saw a couple weeks ago in verse 28, Paul told us why this is a gospel issue to divide into these types of groups. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so for Paul, this type of segregation is not the same as a healthy separation from the legalists. This is an exclusion from community. And so the legalists are coming in and saying, listen, you've got to follow the gospel, which is then in our belief in unity with the law. But those who are not going to do that, if they're going to speak freedom apart from the law, you cannot have part with them. And so Paul is saying this is a gospel issue because we have freedom in Christ apart from the law. Because Jesus plus nothing else equals salvation. And so then in verse 19, Paul gives a powerful metaphor when he says, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth under Christ, until Christ is formed in you. Now here, Paul likens himself to a mother who gave spiritual birth to the Galatians. I mean, what Paul is saying here is that something unnatural has happened. The Galatians are drifting away from Jesus to the law. So Paul is then saying he has to labor in birth again. And this is unnatural to labor again for a second time. And so Paul gives the picture metaphor that he has the labor pains until Christ is formed in them. And the term until Christ is formed in you is the same thing with our being formed in Christ. And so Paul is pointing the churches back to the truth of the gospel, apart from legalism, that it's not external transformation, it's internal transformation. And so rules and and laws and behavioral tips cannot change the heart that it might change how someone dresses or their external practices, but it really doesn't change anything. And so Paul's argument is one of freedom, saying that gospel belief really fuels gospel change. And not where we are changing the gospel, but where the gospel is changing us, which results in freedom. And so both at the end of our services, and often when I've met with many of you. I I will tell you how much I love you. But I want you to know that in in our relationship together, my hope is not uh, that I want you to grow up into a faith to be like me. God forbid. But I want you to be like Christ. That Christ would be formed in you. And so this is how Paul closes this section. As he's pointing them to gospel freedom with reasoning not as an apostle or a theologian, but now he's coming to them as pastor, as shepherd and as father in faith. This is why in verse 20, Paul says, I wish I could be present with you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. So Paul is wishing two things here. One, we see that he wishes he could be present and in studying in this text, I, thinking for a moment, I, I just could not imagine 
being your pastor and not also being with you. That concept for me is so difficult to understand. And so for Paul, I would imagine it's agonizing. This is not something that he's saying as a, as a father of, you know, it's kind of like when mom says, wait till dad gets home. You know, it's not stern dad coming home. Like we're going to deal with things. Paul has addressed that. But now Paul is saying, I wish I could be with you. I wish I could change my tone. I wish we could get at the heart of some of these things. Because Paul has valued his time. And I get that because I love the time that I have with you. I love the opportunity that I have with you. And even as I study and I prepare and having you in mind, as I pray for you, as I long for you to live out your faith, I'm not concerned with how you feel. I'm deeply concerned about your soul. And so we see this type of concern with Paul. And also that he wished that he didn't need to speak to them in such strong words, but we see how it's necessary. That they're facing a danger of leaving the true gospel. So his strong words are very necessary. That Paul is getting after this heartfelt saying, we need to get real. You are walking away from the gospel truth and you are returning to bondage, which is only going to satisfy your flesh and not point you to your savior. And so really, let me tell you, this is the heart of a true pastor. If you are visiting this morning and I am not your pastor, ask that, wonder that, pray about that. Does your pastor feel more concerned for your soul than for how you feel? Because if, he, if your feelings dictate what your pastor does, then that's not a pastor, that's not a shepherd, that's a clown. And so as Paul sees the bondage and confusion the church is in because of the legalist, he's getting at the heart of the issue. Each week as we've looked, Paul continues to press in. And so this is why even for myself that I want to always get after the heart of the issue with you to bring forth the truth of the gospel that we would see it clearly that we would understand that you and I are more sinful than we would ever realize. And yet what we see in scripture is that you and I are more loved than we would ever deserve so that God then has chosen to save you and I by the work of Christ alone. And this is how the Galatians received Christ. Not by their works, not by their efforts, not by following Jesus and a partial belief of the law, a partial practice of the law, but by receiving Christ alone. So this is not by our own works, by our own efforts. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so as we looked at earlier, as Paul really helped us see, either you live under bondage of earning or you live in freedom by grace through faith because we cannot be both sons and slaves. And so Paul is urging them. He has pastoral concern for them about what they know and about what they are doing. And so he's getting at the heart of it 
to really both encourage and challenge them to no longer walk in bondage and in slavery, but to turn again and walk in gospel freedom. And so I want to come back to that, that I've continued to ask you throughout this series for you to ask yourself, am I living in gospel freedom? Because Paul's made it clear this morning for us that we cannot be both a, a son and a slave. You cannot walk in slavery, in legalism, in false doctrine, and walk in sound gospel, in sound doctrine, in freedom. So are you living in gospel freedom? Let's pray.